<laughs> Terrific Tommy's here. We're gonna clean your carpets. How much? How much? How much? How much you got? Hi, Dependable Dan. You called about our $5 room special? You know, that only covers three square feet. You'll need our super duper package. How much? Well, the living room is $75. Extra spots, $100 each. Oh, hi, your wife called and said the carpets I cleaned are stiff and matted. I'll go get her. Are you tired of going through the same problems every time you want your carpets clean? Then it's time you called us. I'm Barry Minko, president of ZBest Carpet Cleaning. Your carpets deserve the care and expertise of our licensed, bonded, and insured technicians. So call now. I'll guarantee the work and the price in writing. Hi, we're the Carpet Cleaning Twins. I'm Bate. I'm Switch. Z-Best, the last word in carpet cleaning. If you're enjoying Do You Want to Hear a Story, your feedback is greatly appreciated. If you're not enjoying it, your feedback is not as appreciated. But please take a moment to leave a rating along with a review. If I'm being honest, though, the best form of feedback is you telling your closest three or four hundred friends about the show. So thank you. Meet Barry. He started a multi-million dollar carpet cleaning business while still in high school. He was a pastor, he was a fraud investigator, and he owes over $600 million. And you know what? He's completely full of shit. Do you want to hear a story? Will you give a few seconds of your time? Good evening, folks. Kennedy and I. The power plant in the city of Kiev was damaged. How do you measure such an astonishing moment in history? The energy crisis who were gathered in Siberia. You want to hear my story? The Late Show with David Letterman debuts, E.T. hits the theatres, and Olivia Newton-John was getting physical. It's 1982, and the largest cash robbery in history occurs in New York City. $9.8 million is stolen from an armoured car. But that's not what our story is about today. Oh no. This story is about the thieving, manipulating Barry Minkow. Now Wall Street hadn't come out just yet, so we don't know whether or not greed is good. But Barry doesn't need a movie to tell him. Greed is good. In the San Fernando Valley, California, the weasel was loose. Now, everyone loves a good origin story. We've all heard the story of Apple, Amazon, or Tesla starting out in the spare bedroom or the garage. These stories point to all kinds of secrets to success. But for Barry, his secret was simple. Fraud. I don't know about you, but carpet cleaning businesses aren't usually the first thing I think of when I hear a story about hundreds of millions of dollars in fraud. But maybe that's why it worked for the time it did for Barry. Barry was born in Inglewood, California. He was raised in the Reseda area of the valley. He was just nine years old when his mum got him a job as a telemarketer with the carpet cleaning business she worked for. Now, the nine-year-old Barry obviously saw the potential in the lucrative future a carpet cleaning business could have. Because by the time he was just 16, in 1982, and still in school, he had started Z-Best Carpet Cleaning. And yes, it's actually called Z-Best, spelled Z-Z-Z-Z-Best. Now by the time Baz was just 20, Z-Best had grown from humble garage-based startup to a $200 million company. 
Baza was worth over $100 million on paper. But before the success came a lot of struggle for the young entrepreneur. As most bootstrapping businesses face, starting an empire just isn't easy. He struggled to pay his bills, the banks closed his accounts, customers constantly complained about the work, and he was chased by suppliers for payment. Most of the time, payroll was a struggle. There was an easy solution to this problem though, crime. Now, multiple legal actions were taken so the struggling company could stay afloat, mainly in the form of writing bad checks, overcharging customers' credit cards, stealing his own grandmother's jewelry, and staging break-ins at the office so that he could collect on the insurance payouts. I just loved that nothing was off the table for Barry. Sure, we've all heard about companies doing the wrong thing, but Barry was happy to apply as many illegal tactics as it took for the best to succeed. And this really was just the beginning of Barry's story. I mean, the sheer audacity of the things that Barry did, it's actually kind of mind-blowing, all while spending a ton of time in the public eye. Everything up until this point is nothing compared to the main scam. This is all small time. The bad checks, the stolen jewelry, the credit card charges. We're only talking about one or $200,000 here. By the time Barry was 20 or so, the company employed over 1,400 people. He was on the Oprah show. He was in all the magazines. The mayor of California even declared an official Barry Minkow day. So how do you get from working out of the garage to living in Woodland Hills, driving a Ferrari and spending money as if there was an endless supply of it? The entire business was built on an elaborate constructions of lies and deceit. It really was the balls of the guy that kept the business going. Firstly, just to set the record straight, he did have a legitimate carpet cleaning business, and that accounted for about 10% of the entire company. It just never made any actual money. He built his business on some 20,000 fraudulent documents that allowed him to leverage banks, investors, and auditors off one another. He created fake contracts at a tune of $50 million for restoration work on projects that had been either fire or water damaged. The fake contracts were with one of his biggest clients, who also happened to be fake, and created by Barry, Interstate Appraisal Services. He took those contracts to the banks and investors and used them as collateral. Literally anyone, be it private or institutional, was a mark for Barry. He'd just white out, change dates and names and contracts, and use them over and over again to collect money. Barry wasn't only defrauding the banks and private investors, he was borrowing money from a variety of loan sharks and shuttering that money between accounts to give off the appearance of cash in the bank. Like many others, notably Bernie Madoff, Barry was running nothing more than a Ponzi scheme. At any point, he was just enough steps ahead of everyone else to keep it all together. Now, depending on your definition of success, I think it's fair to say there's no successful Ponzi schemes out there. Eventually, the money will stop and there'll be a large number of people with their hands out expecting a return. If I haven't explained exactly what Barry did, let's have Barry tell us in his own words. Well, basically the fraud was, um, we had a carpet, furniture, and drapery cleaning that was legitimate. Um, we owed a lot of money to a lot of people, uh, borrowed to expand on the way up. I couldn't get bank loans um, a lot very easily. Um, and I got caught up in paying usurious loans borrow from Peter to pay Paul. And in the process of getting caught in those usurious loans, I um, got myself in debt.
and began to perpetrate a restoration fraud, uh, a fraud that would say that I'm making more money than I'm really making, and I need to more borrow more money than I really would need to borrow if my company were legitimate. So I needed what we call a built-in excuse. Why are you always short of money? I got these restoration jobs. Um, and I had to fool accountants and auditors into believing that those numbers were real before I could perpetrate that fraud. Thanks, Baz. Before everything turned to complete shit, Barry was quickly running out of cash. The solution? Take the best carpet cleaning company public. By the time the company went public, Barry was just 20 years old. He was now the youngest CEO of a publicly traded company. And it's fair to say that every single detail at this point of the best was false. It was fake. It was fraud. At the centre of the scam, though, was the restoration business. From the outside looking in, Zbest had multiple buildings all over the state of California that were restoring at any one point, from fire damage, water damage, I'm talking large 6, 7, 8, 10, 15 story buildings, on paper anyways. What I did was I um, created false vendors like marble marketing or tough techs and created invoices and created literal front companies who I could show money going to. Remember though. Barry's a kid. He's got no clue what he's doing. He did know one thing, though, and that was the importance of accounts receivable. Well, accounts receivable are a wonderful thing. They are a um, tool that is used by a fraudster like me to ask to borrow money, mainly, and to show earnings. So I can borrow money. Hey, I need the money. Look at these receivables. And I can show earnings, because once you book the receivable, you're already counting for the income and you're showing earnings. So what I need to do is create a receivable. And because I had this company that we were doing these insurance frauds from and I had their letterhead, I could make up any letter and any invoice to say that they owed me money for doing this job. I could take some checks in the past and say that they were supplies for the job and I could piecemeal it together, the detail stuff along the way. Bingo, I have a receivable. Guys, also as a side note here, Barry's masterclass on check kiting will be out later this year. What the auditors didn't know what the investors didn't know, what the banks, I mean, fuck, what no one knew was that it was all bullshit, was hung on the restoration work, and it was all completely fabricated. You know, the restoration business was maybe 80% of the income that I earned, allegedly. But 80% of the due diligence, due diligence that I tried to get the auditors and the lawyers to look at was the carpet cleaning end of the business, which was legitimate. Uh, but I think the final touch was, well, the kids on Wall Street, uh, if there was something wrong, uh, somebody would have found it by now. And they see a media figure, they see a Ferrari in the house, and the guy's got to have money. Well, the Ferrari's leased and the house is mortgaged to the hilt, but who, who, what do they know? Very rarely does the subject of a case sum up perfectly what they've done. Baz, you've made this one really easy for me, and I should mention the clips you're hearing are from an interview that he gave while in prison. Shit, was that a spoiler? I had burned literally probably six banks at the time the auditors wanted to uh, do business with me. The banks failed to give them the necessary information they needed to determine what kind of person I was to my advantage. If they're going to mail a confirmation to the bank, fine. 
We don't care what it says our balance is, our average balance is, and how much we owe. That wasn't where the fraud was happening. The fraud was happening with three banks, kiting checks back and forth, inflating a false balance. Uh, the loan payment, heck, if you make a loan payment, uh, you know, what, what's the problem there? And there's just no accountability. It's the auditors are being cheated, I believe, by the banks not getting enough information from them. This is the 80s, though. Everyone was getting paid, and no one really wanted to find anything. Barry was far from a financial wizard, but the lawyers, the bankers, they were all getting played, but they were getting paid. The best was such a hot property. Barry was the media darling. None of the auditors working on the case wanted to be the ones to fuck it up for their firm. People see what they want to see. Now you're probably wondering, how does this little shit get undone? Not the banks, not the auditors, not the investors, not the market. Remember how I told you that Barry in the early days would overcharge his customers when he was short of cash? It was actually an old customer of ZBest. They'd spent two years trying to get a refund from Baz for the money that he overcharged on her credit card. No refund led her to contact a local journalist who after a little bit of work was able to find hundreds in the same situation. An expose on the now famous boy Wonder was the undoing of ZBest Carpet Cleaning Company. Days after the expose hit, the share price of the newly publicly traded company fell through the floor. Uh, again, um, without putting the pressure on the auditors, um, you got to pull yourself away from the numbers. And hindsight's wonderful, you know, to look back and everybody says, how could you have been fooled by Barry Minko? How could anyone have fallen for the old fraudulent building restoration scam or an old Ponzi scheme? Well, very easily. Um, the press says I'm gold. The banks said I was gold. I had Hughes, Hubbard, and Reed as my lawyers. I was doing well on Wall Street. And I leveraged my auditors by saying, you don't want to be the only one, the only non-believer, do you? Now, I think you've gotten the gist here of what's what was the best. And if this was the end of the story, I'd happily bore you with the more nitty-gritty details of the fraud and the others involved. The best part about Barry is he is the goose that keeps giving. The best isn't the end of his story. I will tell you this though. He started the company at 16. He took it public at 20. He was the boy wonder. He was living the life. He was the media darling. But by 22, he was convicted of fraud and off to federal prison. In June of 1987, two days before the best was due to acquire a competitor of theirs for $40 million. I know the balls on this guy. It all fell to shit in a monumental way after that article came out. Barry was exposed at the head of what the courts would call a stock fraud of $26 million, something that everyone agrees is a massive underestimate. All in all, though, Baz and 10 others were indicted on 54 counts of racketeering, securities fraud, money laundering, embezzlement, mail fraud, tax evasion, and bank fraud. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison in order to repay $26 million in restitution, banned from ever serving as an officer or a director of a public company again. For all his bullshit, though, he only, he only ended up serving seven and a half years in that federal prison. But, here's the kicker. While in prison, Barry found someone. He found God. He left prison in 1995 as a born-again Christian. Out of prison, he would go on to become the pastor of the church at Rocky Peak in California. During his time in prison, he'd become involved in the Christian ministry and he completed the coursework through the prison schooling system. Oh, good for you, Barry. 
He spent a couple of years at the church in California and things were fairly uneventful for old Baz. He did write a book accounting his time with C. Best. The proceeds went to paying back his victims. In 1997, a couple of years after leaving prison, he moved churches, becoming the pastor at the Community Bible Church in San Diego. Here, an idea was born. The Fraud Discovery Institute. Barry started a new company. Now, this guy is very well versed in fraud, as we know. And now he wanted to be on the other side of things. He wanted to be catching the fraudsters. I mean, again, the balls on this guy. He was given the idea when a church member asked him to look into a money management firm. And turns out things were not as they should have been. It was a $300 million pyramid scheme. Barry really liked this feeling. By 2006, Barry claimed his company had uncovered well over a billion dollars worth of fraud. But again, this is Barry we're talking about. The story does not end here. Barry began shorting the stock of the companies he was investigating well before releasing the damaging reports his company would put together. He was essentially betting that said company's stock would fall, then he would release the report, and, well, the stock would then fall. His reports were always negative. His business is designed to uncover fraud. This is the tricky part. As long as Barry made his position clear, he was never technically breaking the law. This was proven when a company that he was shorting, their share price fell from $61 to $35 on the day that he released a 500-page report detailing their business as a pyramid scheme. They sued him. Courts ruled he'd done nothing wrong. Now, fast forward a couple of years to 2009. Barry has continued the practice of investigating companies and shorting their stock. I uh, went to prison uh, for securities fraud in the 1980s, much to my shame, uh, albeit well-deserved. I was one of those guys who who deserved it. And uh, did 87 months in federal prison. That is more time than Michael Milken, Leona Helmsley, and uh, Nick Leeson combined. I was one of those CEOs. I was the first of the bad CEOs. Before there was Enron, there was me. Lennar Corporation. You would think that a company on the New York Stock Exchange, the second largest builder in the country, would have the utmost in integrity and ethics and be above reproach in their business dealings. And Lennar, I can safely say, I had never found anybody worse than me. And you know you've hit rock bottom when you are likened to me. Lennar was the second largest home building company in the US at this point, and Barry had bet on them to fail, while at the same time betting on them to rebound after his report came out. So Barry originally began investigating Lennar after being contacted by developer Nicholas Marsh. He had two lawsuits against Lennar for fraud, one of which was ultimately thrown out, the other one resulted in Marsh having to pay Lennar $12 million in counterclaims. Good job, Nicholas. When Barry's report came out, Lennar's stock fell over a two-week period from $11.57 a share all the way down to $6.55 a share. Lennar were not happy with this. They added Barry to the same suit that they already had against Nicholas Marsh for libel and extortion. I feel like I've done a pretty good job here of painting a picture of a not-so-smart individual. When Barry was contacted by Nicholas Marsh originally, he put a private investigator to work. He wanted to see if he could substantiate the claims that Nicholas was making. The investigator could not. Barry moved forward anyways with that report. And that report contained what? 
documents that Barry had forged. Now, that doesn't sound like something he would do, does it? This would ultimately amount to stock manipulation and insider trading. Even when Barry agreed to cooperate into the probe of Marsh, that didn't help. By 2011 now, again, the shit has hit the fan and Barry's fucked. Now, here's the thing. Barry would have done all right shorting Lennar's stock. He would have made a bit of money out of that. He would never in a million years realize that he'd be paying restitution to Lennar though. And that was in the tune of $583 million. That's the amount that Lennar lost due to Barry's ill-informed report. Not just that, the courts ordered that restitution. They also sentenced Barry to five more years in prison. Five more years, $583 million in restitution. I mean, seriously, Barry, pull your head in. So here we are, 2011 now, two separate cases of fraud, roughly $600 million in restitution still owed. Surely you must be thinking this is the end of the story. I'm wrapping it up now. What if I told you that during his time as a pastor, he was running his Fraud Discovery Institute with church funds? What if I told you he was opening up credit cards in his church member names? You surely wouldn't believe any of that, right? Well, believe it. While in prison for the Lennar debacle, Barry once again pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit bank fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, and to defraud the federal government. He admitted to embezzling over $3 million in donations from the church. He admitted to opening up bank accounts on the church's behalf, forging checks, diverting money from the church accounts to his own, and unauthorized purchases on the church credit cards. I mean, what a guy. Not to mention, he also concealed his income and he avoided $250,000 worth of tax. He talked a widower into giving him $75,000 under the guise of funding a hospital in the Sudan, and he swindled $300,000 from another church member to finance a film about himself. For all his dirty dealings with the church, he was given a further five years in prison to be served after he's done with his time for Lennar, and another $3.4 million worth of restitution to be paid back. Well, that's about all, I think. You had... The best carpet cleaning company, fraud. You had the Fraud Discovery Institute, fraud. You had the church and its poor members, fraud yet again. You had 35 years worth of prison time, of which roughly 12 years were served. And you have around $612 million worth of restitution to pay, most of which will almost never be paid back. You know probably how many Barry Minkles there are out there right now? A lot. <laughs>